Welcome to Hummingbird, conversation about identity, Celtic and Métis, healing and wellness, the spirit of place, and the pull of mystery. We linger in conversation about things at the center of our creative work and life. We respectfully acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the treaty and traditional territories of many nations, including the Anishinaabeg, the Michisaugig Anishinaabeg, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, the Mississaugas of the Credit, and the Wendat peoples. These lands are now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit, and Métis peoples, and are covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit and the Williams Treaty, treaties to peaceably share and protect this land through friendship and respect. We thank those who have cared for this land, and we are grateful for the opportunity to live here and connect through conversation. Today, we are going to continue the conversation from last time and talk about The Writing Spiral, which was a book that I had published back in 2014, and it was called The Writing Spiral, Learning as a Writer. But it's much bigger than a book to me. Really, it's a set of ideas that continue to inform what I write, how I teach, the conversations that we have here. Since we had been looking at some of your earlier work and how it had moved through time and space to where it's landed today, I thought today we could enter into this writing spiral and just wing it and see where it takes us. Oh, look at that, Jessica. Wing it. We got birds in the hummingbird podcast already. Gotta love wing it. (laughs) Well, the first quotation when you open up the book is a quote from Rumi. And it says, we come spinning out of nothingness, scattering stars, the stars form a circle. And in the center, we dance. There's so much swirling in that and spiraling and motion. And it makes me think of W.B. Yeats and he has that line from among school children, how can we know the dancer from the dance? And I think there's so much in that with our connection to process and the way that as writers in particular, how process is the dance and the, the way that we enter into what we need to write and the way that it leads us to more of what we are finding we need to engage with. And then when we come back, I think it's it's really an interesting thing to do to take stock as as we are looking back with your book, The Writing Spiral, which I'm honored to be in, by the way, and honored to to revisit this book and think about who would have thought, I guess, in well, it was it nine years ago, that this book would be something that we would talk about in a podcast together, Jessica. So all the way that little seeds are, when you look back, you can see the, the connections and how then there's that spiraling energy that I think sustains us as well and is really uh, something I think that we can trust uh, because it's always there. Mm-hmm. And it feels to me like the more time I spend living this creative life, and I still feel so new and so young and <laughs> careful. just a sweet fresh 48 but as I where I'm at now is I I think 
it's more of a life's work. It's not just one project. The ideas that I was thinking about 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they do move like a spiral and then they come back in and they come back around and the themes repeat and I explore them in a different way because maybe it's part of what I'm trying to understand as a human. Maybe I'm trying to understand what is this creativity that I am gifted with and have the joy of living with. And when I read this quotation by Rumi and think about this idea of spinning out of nothingness. And I think back to our conversation last week about the the mystery, that's part of that creative journey. We're not always sure where it came from. (laughs) It can feel like nothing. It Mm -hmm. can feel like a scattering. And then there's this circle that forms. And when we let go of control, when we let go of ourselves, and we allow the process to guide us, then we have that opportunity to just to just dance and to be in the present moment and and be carried by the spiral by the by the magic. Well, I can't help but think too, of those, I, I call them dust devils. It's where the dust sort of releases in these little corners, and whether it's just dust or debris or leaves and in that circling it becomes this this dance and in that way too how the wind is making that happen and I think too as humans it's our breath that's making it happen even if it's in our mind it's still words and words require breath and so that sense of rhythm of music of words and silence and that energy I feel is our way of bringing something out of nothing and shaping it and following that shape and finding the form as we move towards it and that spiraling is just so wonderful because it also just shows us the way that so many things work. And we see that in your book. I know that you mentioned, well, you have an image of a sunflower and the sense of it being a spiral. And then I think about the Nautilus and in the chapter that I'm in, which I'm honored to be in, and it focusing on solitude and self-awareness, the, the spiral of solitude and self-awareness. And you begin the chapter with a quote by T.S. Eliot. I'll just share it now. It's from Four Quartets, Little Gidding. We shall not cease from our exploration. And at the end of all our exploring, we shall arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. Mm-hmm. I can't think a better quote that would connect also to spiral. I mean, both the room you want and, and this one, they just are so much engaged with it. And uh, yeah, and that word know, uh, where we started and know the place for the first time. So that constant way that, that we're engaged in the mystery and the unknown, and yet what we can bring as we spiral back and know more at the same time as we keep moving. Right. And so the book is organized into eight spirals. There can be more than eight. There's no hard hard and fast rule, but the spirals are consisting of two big ideas. So you mentioned the third spiral, which is solitude and self-awareness and how the two of those pieces go hand in hand. And within each spiral, there's an image that helps to ground the idea in something visual. I'm a very visual person and I love to think in metaphor and I find that really helpful. So At the beginning of the book, it talks about that and how the spiral appears in nature. I think about the sunflower and how it uses the mathematical sequence called the Fibonacci 
sequence, which is also called the golden ratio, which is also in many artworks. And you can see it in things like the the head of a sunflower and the way that the seeds move and then a pattern. And so shape and form are really important to this idea of how things move. And that movement and that constant movement is always important. And so the image that I chose for the third spiral, solitude and self-awareness, was the labyrinth. And when I think about the idea of a labyrinth where you're walking around in that meditation, you're moving, and how a labyrinth works is you move toward the center and then you move all the way back out again. And it's it's a metaphor for how we, we move into in our in our solitude and when we are being self-aware we move into the heart of who we are we move into the center of ourselves and then we come back out and rejoin the world so when I think about solitude and self-awareness and this image of the labyrinth and that beautiful quote by T.S. Eliot and I'll read it again so we have it just to, to ground it think about exploration in terms of what you would do in that movement that it's happening in a labyrinth So we shall not cease from our exploration. And at the end of all our exploring, we shall arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. T.S. Eliot. Beautiful. So the labyrinth then can be that metaphor for our life path and how part of our work as humans is and part of our work as as artists and people who are creative is, is to arrive somewhere back where we started and to know to know that place where we arrive for the first time and i think about the work like we've talked about sometimes how a piece of writing like even this book i haven't looked at this book in a while because there was a time when I would get mad every time I looked at it because my thinking has evolved. My work with this has evolved. I've continued to dig in on a regular basis and run little workshops on each of the spirals. I've done more writing on each of the spirals. So things have changed. I get a little overstimulated when I get in here because I want to redo it. And it feels like it's not done in in that sense, that the work isn't done because it's a life's work. And this book is really just that that one stone on the journey of where the thinking was at in 2014. And I love the contributions from the 30 other writers because they are really those, those key examples of how this theory looks in practice and looks in the life of a writer, that those connections are made between between those two pieces. And I remember you had the, the most incredible piece in this book. I feel like it was there was something about an egg? Yes. I had forgotten the title of it. I don't know how original it is, but <laughs> it's kind of quirky when I look at this again, thinking about, oh, I wrote that? But it's titled, The Chicken is the Egg. Talking about metaphor there. The chicken is the egg. Okay. And you want to tell us a little bit about that? My journey is connected, as as you know, and, and I know some listeners who have listened to previous podcasts, it's connected to grief and how the grief led me to the writing life. And so I've explored it in many ways, but it's interesting because I feel like I also spiral when I speak about it or write about it because there's always something new or a different way I've used language. So it was interesting to revisit this and the language choices that, that I made within um, the piece. So I'll just maybe read a little bit of it here. The chicken is the egg. Writing came into my life as a way of coping with grief. It was the loss of both parents that led me there. My mother died of cancer Christmas Day during my first year of studies at McMaster University, and my father died the September of my last year. Somehow I made it through, graduating summa cum laude. Somehow I coped. It's all a blur. 
In my grief-saturated state, the thought of following my original plan of pursuing graduate school in psychology seemed thickly overwhelming. I was now having experiences meant for people decades older than me, organizing funerals, choosing headstones, dealing with wills and estates, selling the family home, having no home. I applied to Teachers College. The program was one year, and I thought, you can handle one more year of school life and study. Accepted into the program at Brock University, it was during that time a close friend of the family, a worried friend, suggested that I see a counselor to help me cope with the grief. I'd always been a shy child, an introvert, and this grief had me locked inside a deeper black box. I could see no light. The counselor suggested that I keep a journal to write out my feelings. I did that, yes, and began to experience a slow sense of release. Not a cure for the pain exactly, but the movement of writing loosened the grip of black thoughts. It helped dislodge the array of complicated and confusing feelings into a place where I could see them outside of myself. Then I started playing with words, memories, images. This new engagement became more than a release. For the first time in a long time, I felt energized by something. The way I'd felt as a child while drawing or painting or creating new worlds with my toys. That rush of fresh energy. It took me back to a time when I did have a family, to a mother and father who were interested in my creations, whatever they were, and I would see them smile at my efforts. They were now my subject matter. When I shared some fragments with that same family friend, she said, these are poems, you're writing poetry. Something clicked deep inside me. It said, you are a writer. From that point on, there was no turning back. Writing became my lifeline. Would I have become a writer, a poet, if my parents hadn't died? I'll never know the answer, but I doubt it. Their back-to-back deaths ignited the creator in me. Years later, I still write about them. They appear covertly or overtly in all of my books, including my latest collection of poetry. Her red hair rises with the wings of insects. I keep them alive through words. Now that was what I guess three books ago, four books ago, and they uh, continue <laughs> spiraling in my life. <laughs> right, and and when we think about this spiral of solitude and self awareness, and I had written a little introduction to your piece. The last sentence that I wrote right before it moves into your piece is: Catherine shows me the impact a writer can have when she writes from her center. And I really feel that you demonstrate what that's like to go into the center, to go into the grief, to go into the joy of memories, to go into the what it's like in the present with having had some of those experiences. And then you even say it, I started playing with words, memories, images, and then that still continues today, um, which I really love. And, and that's the kind of writer that I aspire to be. And that's the kind of writer that I seek out to read their work is somebody who is metaphorically moving through the labyrinth of their lives and going into the center and then writing something that may be healing 
or satisfactory to themselves. And I don't know if that's the right word. It could be just that contentment that can come where you're doing it for yourself in the way that uh, Rilke says we write for ourselves, but then it also has an impact on everybody that's around you because the personal can become universal in that way. Yeah. And I just love that word, the center, because I think there's a sense too of subjectivity, but also that way that where we are at a particular time is where we need to be and how hard that is sometimes and how a labyrinth too when you're on the writing journey and let's say you're looking to publish something so you're moving outside of your center and into a place of of deep unknown and things that are out of your control and whether you fit into someone's way of working with more of the business model of writing and different things that are of fashion and whether you fit or not. And a lot of that is subjectivity too and how other centers are and whether there's an intersection and how in the labyrinth you can feel so close to those moments to that center. But as we know, it's an illusion because with a labyrinth, you still have to curve around and move through to get to that center, even though you look like you could just, but you can't step over those lines. You have to go forward into the various loops. And I think it's such a profound image for the closeness of sometimes things that are seemingly so close. And yet at the same time, how you still have to go through the path and trust the path because that's that's where the journey is. Absolutely. And that's, that's something that it doesn't matter whether you're a new writer or you've been writing for two decades or four decades, the learning that goes on with figuring out how to get into your, the center of yourself and get back out again is constant. It's it is. always part of the journey. It's not something you ever arrive at and say, I got that. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let's just check that off the list. I am center. Boom. <laughs> but what we do, though, is we develop a practice that helps us to get there more quickly. It becomes habits, right? It's the habits that lead mm -hmm. us into being able to do that. And what happens over time is you become more skilled at the habits. And for me, having a regular writing routine is helpful, just like having a regular walking routine can be helpful. I think mm -hmm. a meditative writing practice can really help with excavating energy, words, story, and it helps helps you connect into the center. So through a meditative writing practice, how I like to do it is to, I don't usually set a timer. I let it take what it takes and I get a mm -hmm. notebook, my favorite pen. Yeah. Sometimes I'll even close my eyes and I just write that, that idea of free writing where you're letting your, your mind and your state of consciousness just flow out onto the page without any judgment, without censoring, without any bother with craft, but just getting into the practice of listening to the inner voice and allowing it to come out through my hand. And I was talking to someone last week at work, we were talking about writing and she was saying, oh, I, I, I would love to be a writer. And I said, well, do you start with journaling every day. Like that's a great way to do it. She says, well, I do it, but I use do it on my computer. And I said to her, I bet you do it in point form. And she says, well, I do. I do. I just do point form like a bullet journal on my computer. I said, so this is what I would recommend is even two, three times a week when you're doing it, try to use sentences that flow, like fall into the conversation, fall into the flow and use your hand, use your pen. There's research to support that that body connection, that kinesthetic connection helps to open up the brain in ways that the typing and clickety clack at the computer, it comes out differently. I'm so glad you said that, Jessica, because I find that the way how I 
connect to my body and I have to write things out by hand. And I've read those studies too. And I just love that that it requires the direct contact of the body. And I feel like that's how you describe that too makes me think of the Rumi quote and the sense of being embodied by the dance and how the actual dance of moving into our rhythm, because it's all it's all rhythm we're talking about. It's all some sort of way of moving into different forms of energy and how the hand and the mind and the body and that sense too of, as you describe, being in a space where you're not forcing yourself to, to write, but you're pushing yourself into that place, almost like a, a tipping point just to spill what you need to spill and allowing that freedom of not worrying about grammar and punctuation, because underneath all of that is your rhythm. And in that way, you're finding rhythm, which leads us to voice, which leads us to content, which leads us to subject matter, which leads us to what matters. And all of the things that are part of the writing journey can be released and, and in that sense, too, of the practice of it, it's almost like um, I think of a well, I think of a, a quarry, I, f- I feel like that underground current is rising, and in that way, coming out to then have a relationship with it. And then to see, because then you can start to see the patterns and things that continue to come up. And I just think too about how at one point there must have been an, an aha moment where you were realized how the spiral and the spiral and the sunflower and the sunflower and the different spirals leading to this sense of more than one and how that led you to the book. So it, it in itself, I feel, had its own journey into being and you listening to those images, to the writing that came out of you and then finding the pattern within that and that dance that you're doing, and then also folding in all the other voices. That's not an easy thing Mm -hmm. to do. There's such a beautiful structure to this book. And as you say, you've got your title and then your image that that's a lot to capture and in that way too you're folding in I'm honored to have my voice there's other writers too as you mentioned and so we're folded into this this spiral format so it's a continuation of of the spiral and the way that that can hold not just your voice or my voice but all the voices of the book and so there's a tremendous beauty in that and in that inclusiveness. Oh, well, thank you so much for that. That's that's so nice to hear. It's it's one of those projects that that came in quietly and then it it's out there and sometimes I hear about it and yeah, it it was a special project and it, like I said earlier, it's one that continues to linger. And so my thinking and how it's changed is it's evolved outward. Here we go inward, outward to the art world and making those connections. So the last time I was thinking through this spiral and the oh, I've done a lot of work and, and creativity workshops on the labyrinth and but really thinking about solitude and self-awareness, I ended up reconnecting with Emily Carr. Here's a quote that she has, because I really feel that Emily Carr is another one of those creatives that really embodied a mastery of solitude and self-awareness. And so she says, something has called out of somewhere and something in me is trying to answer. Oh, could you repeat that? That's beautiful. Something has called out of somewhere, and something in me is trying to answer. And it's the is trying, because that's mm-hmm. the thing. It's the trying and the seeking of that and the pull towards that. And, and I think in that trying too, that sense of that's all we can do is try, right? It, right. it, it can lead us to something that we might feel some satisfaction with but 
in that trying, we're always in that space of seeking, exploring, going back to the T.S. Eliot quote. I love the, the rhythm. Speaking of rhythm, I love the rhythm of that quote. It's beautiful. Well, and then she also says, because so I love the how she contradicts herself, because another quote of hers that I had collected, because I, I did a lot of reading about Emily Carr and studied her work and looked into her process. And luckily, there's a lot that's out there. But she says, do not try to do extraordinary things but do ordinary things with intensity. And again, please repeat that for us. <laughs> do not try to do or extraordinary things, but do ordinary things with intensity. So I love that idea of let's not try to do extraordinary things. When you feel that calling coming out of somewhere, and then something in me is trying to answer, we don't have to aim for an extraordinary answer. We do not have to try for that. But what we need to do is to do something ordinary, but with intensity, with our whole selves. Yes. Yeah. And just like when you're describing, even when you're free fall writing, that, that's the whole self actively involved in that activity. It's giving over to that release of what that is. And I know when I've used that as a tool in creative writing classes, oftentimes when students are participating in that, even for the first time, they I'll ask them how long they thought that was. And usually five to seven minutes just for that first attempt. And some will feel like it's been one minute. And you know then that they've been into that space that we call flow. Psychologist Mahela coined that in that sense of being out of time. And so you're, you're so connected that you're not even aware of the ticking clock anymore and that timelessness that you enter into. And it's such a beautiful space because it's so rare that we actually fall out of time and into something else. And, and I think that that's just one of the beautiful things that can happen in the creative process. I agree. And you've just set me up beautifully for the next thing I wanted to share about Emily Carr. She talks about this idea of the unity of movement. Have you heard of that before? Unity, the of, unity movement? of movement. No. No. So she talks about this idea and she says that she believes that Van Gogh had that idea. So if you can kind of picture the movement and the swirling that you can see in the paintings of Emily Carr or Van Gogh and what was happening around that time is instead of just painting the landscape or just painting the thing as it was, they were trying to capture the spirit of the thing. And so what Emily Carr would do is she would go by herself into the woods, into these very remote areas and immerse herself in the setting and then try to capture the spirit of it, the energy of it with her brush and doing so using this idea called the unity of movement. And so she talks about how it seizes on you and that you see the whole sweep of a thing as a unit and that there's a curve. And she talks about how for a long time was looking for those movements of the parts and looking at the parts of things. But now she says that there's only one movement. It sways and ripples. It may be slow or fast, but it is only one movement sweeping out into space, but always keeping going. Rocks, sea, sky, one continuous movement. And I thought that just blew my mind. And when you look at her paintings and you see the way the energy moves and you see how she's, that's how she's captured the energy. It's not just the one thing, but she's kind of got it into the one. 
and then she's yeah. created it. And that's the feeling I have when I read Mary Oliver is she might be looking at a piece of something, but somehow her poetry has brought in this unity of movement through like even something like her poem that many people know about wild geese. To mm-hmm. me, that poem, it literally speaks about a unity of movement, but it also... <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it it captures that to me in its in its spirit and i think it, when you spend that time in solitude and you dig into that self awareness i wonder now this is you know 10 years after doing that book and really thinking about this spiral is it's not about me anymore, the labyrinth. It's about when I get to the center of myself, I'm actually connected to everyone and to everything and all is relationship. Whereas 10 years ago, the center of the spiral was just me. Oh, that is so beautiful, Jessica, because then you're you're surrendering to the unity of movement and the movement is, is, is everything as you described it. Yeah. So how do we, how do we do that in our writing, Catherine? <laughs> <laughs> but you know we laugh but it starts with being not doing and so if you see it if you can be it if you can experience immerse yourself in it that's where you have to begin and then over time what happens is is you get more skilled at the sensations you're able to pick things up I liken it to listening to a piece of music When you first hear a piece of music, you're tapping your toe, you're swaying a little bit, you're doing whatever you do because you like the song. But it isn't until you've listened to it multiple times that you start to pick out the instruments, you start to listen to the words, you start to hear the the vocal acrobatics or whatever the singer is doing. You don't really fully understand the pieces to be able to articulate what is happening there. And I find the same thing when I read something really closely. It takes that time to come back in and to be able to see it. So this, this is a big idea, this unity of movement. But, but Emily Carr could do it. And so she's human. And how did she do it? It was by immersing herself in the experience with which she was trying to create through her work. Mm-hmm. So that's what we do as poets, too, is we immerse ourselves in the world. Even when you and I are having these conversations, we're, we're like nerding out on words, especially when they connect to birds. <laughs> <laughs> And we're noticing things and we're learning more about how to pay attention and how to be better immersed within our world. And that really is, that really is the work. So we could go on and on. I feel like I get, I get all, like I said, I get all jazzed up. This is why I have trouble coming back into this book because I need to make sure I have time and space because this was just one of the eight spiral ideas. I find for me, like if we go back to that Rumi quote, I find that just thinking through how these impact our creative work and our writing, I feel like I'm in that center and that I'm dancing and, and I, I can, I can see things there. Mm -hmm. And it, and going back to that word being right. We are human beings, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) not human doings. (laughs) I read that somewhere. That's not mine. That's okay. It's all about what we also connect with, with what we read and how that becomes part of our story then too, and how we can locate meaning within us and, and share that as well and then go to google and say who who, whose quote is that (laughs) it's all there (laughs) all there well we'll see you next time see ya Catherine graham is an award-winning writer and creative writing teacher living in toronto jessica outram is a metis writer and educator coburg's fourth poet laureate and assistant principal of indigenous education the music has been generously provided by shannon linton
Connect with us online at thehummingbirdpodcast.com.